Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of the CCGI podcast. Our last episode featured Dr. Stephen Pearl, a faculty member at the University of Bridgeport School of Chiropractic. We discussed the iCare Chirocast, implementing guidelines and gaps in learning. Today we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Stephen Passmore. Dr. Passmore is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Recreation Management at the University of Manitoba. He also holds adjunct appointments in the College of Rehabilitation Sciences at the University of Manitoba and the Research Department at New York Chiropractic College. His subspecialization in kinesiology is human perceptual learning and motor control. Dr. Passmore explores performance-based outcome measures to determine population characteristics, movement outcomes, and intervention sustainability. He practices as a chiropractor in the Buffalo Veterans Affairs Medical Center from 2007 to 9, and has aided the Mount Carmel Clinic in Winnipeg in data collection since 2011, spawning his interest in chiropractic care integration into publicly funded facilities. That's a lot to be doing. Welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. We'd love to just dive right in and ask you some questions. Um, The first one would really be about the University of Manitoba. So can you tell us a bit about your work at the university? Sure, sure. So uh, my work at the University of Manitoba, if I had to describe it in a word, I would say that it's very multifaceted. And so uh, there are a lot of different components that go into the position that I have there. And so initially, it started out as a five-year term position at the rank of assistant professor uh, that was created by the CCRF and associated with the Manitoba Chiropractors Association and Manitoba Health. So a big thank you to uh, to those groups and the people uh, responsible for making the position happen. And since that time, uh, my position has evolved into a, a tenured associate professor in a, a tra- traditional academic appointment uh, within the university, and, and the university carries the, the full salary line now. So, uh, so I'm no longer directly supported by the, the CCRF in that capacity. So uh, I think that was a really positive step for these types of positions to be able to uh, to have some of us now rolling into uh, tenured university appointments. I started out in the College of Rehabilitation Sciences for the first five years. So I, I've been in Manitoba since 2010. And uh, now I'm in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Recreation Management. And the breakdown of my position is uh, a traditional academic appointment, which involves teaching, research, and service in something called a 40-40-20 split. So I'm expected to spend uh, 40% of my time engaged in teaching activities, 40% of my time engaged in research activities, and the other 20% is devoted to service. That's a really interesting breakdown. I mean, I'm curious about the service piece and and how how that gets allocated. Yeah, the service piece is uh, really quite interesting. I've I've had a, a, a really... Uh, exciting time with the service opportunities available. So service really is is giving back to both um, the profession, but also giving back to the university. And so there's a number of ways that I contribute to service, uh, both locally, nationally, and then uh, globally. So for instance, through the chiropractic profession, I participate in committees that the Manitoba Chiropractors Association has. So I'm a member of their legislation committee looking at uh, the legalities of the chiropractic profession and, and practice in Manitoba. I'm also on their research committee. And our research committee uh, focuses on investigating the newest research that's out there, but also 
looking at developing continuing education opportunities. So those are some of the the, the provincial uh, association things that I do. But I also uh, have served uh, this year on an interdisciplinary panel for the Manitoba Chiropractors Association. So they hosted an event um, which explored, it was an interdisciplinary event uh, focused on patient boundaries and ethics and issues that are common to a lot of different healthcare professions. And so I represented the Manitoba Chiropractors Association, but we also had the Manitoba Physiotherapy Association, the Manitoba Athletic Therapy Association, and the event was hosted by the Massage Therapy Association of Manitoba. So really good cross-pollination and interdisciplinary collaboration and interdisciplinary continuing education from that particular event that was hosted at uh, St. Boniface Hospital here in, in Winnipeg. And then other service that I've done for the, the province itself is uh, I serve as the scientific officer for our provincial granting agency. So uh, for the past, I would say, five years or so, I've been the scientific officer who uh, looks at uh, summarizing the conversations that are held in the room by grant review panels. So our grant reviewers uh, review different grants that are submitted for provincial healthcare research funding. And then uh, I summarize the conversations that are in the room and generate the notes that then go back to the, uh, the scientists who have applied. So it's a great opportunity to see and hear about all the, uh, the exciting research that's happening here in Manitoba and see, uh, see where the funding is allocated provincially. And then uh, for the profession at the national level, uh, I contribute to the projects of the CCGI as well as uh, the Canadian Chiropractic Association's National Convention and Trade Show, our CCRF uh, chairs group. So uh, a bunch of us get together four times a year and have a, a telephone call where we talk about issues that are uh, relevant to being in uh, integrated into a university setting. And then I'm also a grant reviewer for NSERC and CIHR. So those are all um, that sort of national level service commitments that I have uh, to the research world and to the chiropractic profession. And then at the global level, um, I've helped the uh, World Federation of Chiropractic uh, curate their reading list, and uh, I've been one of their uh, peer reviewers for that. And then just doing journal peer review as well as um, serving World Spine Care on their research committee. So those are all aspects of service that I do that are related to um, the chiropractic profession and science, but then there's also the service commitment to the university itself. And you know, how do we make a university work? What are, what are all the the things that go into that? And so, uh, again, I do some things that are local to my my faculty. So um, recently, I served as a representative for the faculty of kinesiology and recreation management uh, on a panel for something called Discovery Days in Health Sciences which is where high school students from all over Manitoba come together. And uh, it's an event hosted by the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. And I was the panelist for the chiropractic profession on that panel. And so there were, you know, uh, gynecologists and researchers from other disciplines and backgrounds. And so uh, I represented my faculty in that capacity. And then I, I serve on local committees um, like master's students committees and PhD students committees. And sometimes I have to be the chair or invigilator of those committees. And that's part of the service of, of making the, uh, the faculty run. Uh, contributing to discussions on graduate program curriculum and undergraduate curriculum, day-to-day -day kind of uh, faculty operations and, and our, our, uh, our monthly faculty meetings. And then 
at the university level, university-wide, I'm an elected member of the university senate. So I review and vote on all the major issues that come through the university. We have monthly meetings with the uh, president, the upper administration, and all the deans who uh, actually run the Senate itself. And then, uh, you know, so just the other day, I was able to participate in, in the vote where we elected a new chancellor, so the ceremonial head to the University of Manitoba. And I'm also on a Senate subcommittee on nominations, and so I help the university by uh, establishing who should be elected to other committees that are being formed. So to tell you a little bit about what that is, it, uh, we are currently uh, in the process of, of starting to search for a new university president. Our, our president will be retiring. And so uh, our committee was tasked with identifying appropriate individuals to generate a search committee to look for who the next president of the University of Manitoba should be. So uh, being, a, being a chiropractor, and being able to be at the table for all these different conversations and roles within uh, the university and the province uh, has been a, a wonderful experience for me. Wow, that that sounds like a full time position just all by itself. Just just the service components. You you are a very busy individual. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it it is fascinating though. So I I do enjoy that that aspect of it. But yeah, sometimes I think it creeps up a, a bit more than just the twenty percent that it's supposed to be. Oh, no doubt. So another thing that you've been involved with is is the Mount Carmel Project, and I don't know how many of our listeners know about that, or maybe have read about it in the JCCA. But what could you what could you tell us about it? Yeah, so the Mount Carmel Project really is a is a clinic, and uh, the clinic is a multidisciplinary clinic uh, that targets the poor and underserved of urban Manitoba, or at least urban Winnipeg. And so, uh, in order to uh, go to the clinic, you can't have any um, external health benefits or uh, you're not under a worker's compensation case or anything like that at the time. But the clinic has primary care services. It has dentistry services, chiropractic, and uh, a number of other uh, psychosocial health care entities as well. So social work and those types of things all exist within this, this multidisciplinary clinic. And back in 2011, uh, the, the Department of Family Services within the province of Manitoba started to uh, fund a chiropractic clinic there to try to address the unmet musculoskeletal needs of that population. And, you know, this is a population that it would otherwise completely fall through the cracks in our society when it comes to musculoskeletal care. They can't afford to pay out of pocket for services rendered um, because they would have to make tough decisions about that, like whether they could pay rent that month or whether they could put food on the table. So, I mean, those are priorities that they would usually uh, assert the the care of their own health. And so the, our government recognized that and decided to invest in a pilot project opportunity, basically where these people could come in, receive a course of care at no out-of-pocket out of expense, and you know we would just see whether they got better, worse, or if they stayed exactly the same. And initially, it was funded as a three-year pilot project, but uh, what we decided to do uh, right off the bat was to implement a quality assurance measure. And so we knew that stakeholders would come back and say at the end of our three-year pilot project, you know, how did people do? What, who was seen? What happened? And rather than just having, you know, a few qualitative descriptors of it, we actually had hard data because we tracked data on every single patient that has moved through that clinic. 
And we do it for quality assurance purposes so that we can answer those questions when, when government or other stakeholders ask us, you know, what is happening in the clinic, who's being seen, how, how long are they being treated for. But there's, there's a tremendous opportunity for research there as well. And so uh, when we do have a research question or project, uh, what we do is uh, submit an ethics proposal to the University of Manitoba uh, to have access to that data for research purposes. And then we, we go back and we look at it to see what we can learn about the, the population that's being seen there. And we've seen really positive things come out of that. There was the, the publication uh, in the JCCA about the, the inaugural year, that first year of integration into, uh, into the, the publicly funded system at Mount Carmel. And really positive results came out of that for all the different regions of the spine as well as the extremities. And then the database has grown to a point now where we can start to look at other subpopulations. And so we thought about some subpopulations that are relatively understudied in the literature. And we thought, well, this is a nice chance to get a snapshot of those, those populations. So um, recently, we've, we've done some work looking at uh, young people and how young people respond to a course of, of chiropractic care. And young people, by the definition of the World Health Organization, are, are people between the ages of uh, 11 and 24 years old. And so we took our, our subset of people at the Mount Carmel Clinic that fall within that age category, and we basically looked at their responses to care. How many visits are they getting? How are they responding uh, to care? And uh, we've seen tremendously positive results come out of that as well. So. Uh, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to uh, to share those results at the upcoming um, EPIC 2019 meeting, the World Federation of Chiropractic and, and the European Chiropractic Union meeting that's coming up in uh, in Berlin. So we were ex uh, accepted there to present on that. And so I, I'm looking forward to sharing that. So speaking of other integrated medical centers, you, you worked at the VA and hospital in, uh, in Buffalo uh, in private practice as well. When you were in practice, did it, did you find that things like guidelines and, and best evidence played a role in, in your clinical decision making? Well, it's 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 really interesting when you're in a an integrated environment. And one of the things that I always try to remind people of when you're when you're in an integrated environment, it is very different than being in um, sort of solitary clinical practice. And one of the reasons for that is that your notes are not just for your own reference or the reference of uh, an auditor or uh, the patient or something like that. Your notes really serve as uh, a window for the broader healthcare picture of this particular patient. So uh, at the VA in Buffalo, uh, we had an electronic medical record system that was uh, really good. It was, it was called CPRS and um, it's actually open source software. You can you can see it online if you go to the VA webpage and you can see what it looks like. And basically, there's an electronic file that opens up for any patient and you're presented with a dashboard. And that dashboard really is uh, everything that's happening in that patient's health story. And the nice thing about the veterans hospital system in the US, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little background on that before I expand on the EMR, but the... Uh, if you're a veteran and you're honorably, honorably discharged from uh, military service in the U.S., you're entitled to health care benefits for the rest of your life. And it is all the different uh, aspects of your health care are addressed. So uh, chiropractic services were brought on in, uh, in 2001. The legislation passed for it and uh, services started operating 
in uh, 2004 or 2005 in Buffalo and, and a, a few other uh, isolated clinics and hospitals across the U.S. And that program has expanded dramatically without further legislation um, to, to a number of sites. So now I believe we're at over 76 locations, hospitals and medical centers. Uh, there's a residency program that has evolved out of that specifically for chiropractic. And all the other medical specialties are all offered in-house there as well. So our chiropractic program was situated uh, in the hospital on the same floor as chronic pain management and orthopedic surgery. A lot of the other chiropractic clinics are aligned with primary care uh, or they're aligned with physical medicine and rehabilitation. So those are the settings where chiropractors are practicing in that multidisciplinary environment. I found it really good being next to chronic pain and being next to uh, orthopedic surgery because I would actually go uh, and spend time there. When I, when I was training there as a student, I would shadow the different providers that were there. And so I built a good rapport with them. And I also really understood the, um, the extent of the treatments that they were able to offer and their, the, the types of assessments that they do. And all of their notes were generated and, and entered into this electronic medical record. And then all of the notes that we generated as well, seeing our chiropractic patients, were entered into the same healthcare record. So if they wanted to see, uh, if we were co-managing a patient, they would be able to bring up my most recent note or I would be able to bring up their most recent note. And in a veteran's environment, it was really important too to be able to bring up um, some of the mental health or psychological notes as well so that you knew where that patient was at uh, when they came into your clinic and you had some context as to uh, the background that they had. You know, they may have been a Vietnam veteran who had been in a really adverse situation. And so, you know, when you want to do flexion distraction on them, you have to have a gentle conversation about, you know, is this person willing to have their feet attached to the table in order to undergo that procedure? Or is that going to be a psychological trigger um, that could uh, take them to, uh, to a dark place in their past? And it's, it's a challenge because the, the population... Um, has a high level of, of military expertise. So these are people that uh, are sometimes, you know, former special ops or Navy SEALs and uh, have an extremely high level of training, and they've had to act on that training in the past. And so it is uh, a unique and, and special environment compared to, uh, say, dealing with the, the general population. There are some unique needs that the veterans have. So it was a, it was a fascinating uh, system to be able to be a part of. And at the time that I was there, it was great because things were just sort of ramping up and we were just really starting to look at what does integration look like in this environment and what is the role that a chiropractor plays in this type of healthcare setting. And so, uh, you know, I think we were learning a lot along the way and it gave us the opportunity to document what we were learning. Um, uh, Andy Dunn, who I worked with at the VA in Buffalo, and Andy is still there, um, you know, Basically, he and I had the realization that if you don't document what you're doing, how will anyone know what was done and what about the next people to follow? You know, there, there'll be a day when we're no longer there and, and other people will be expected to fill those shoes. So how does that person know what to do or, or where to pick up? And so we wrote a series of articles that looked at the integration of services into that environment but also what to do with the clinic in order to help streamline it and make it run more efficiently within that system. And so uh, those were articles that I think uh, hopefully have helped uh, the, the newer practitioners who have expanded into that system understand how to, how to use it more effectively and efficiently 
uh, with the resources that they've had in their different geographic locations. Well, that's a fantastic insight. I, I know from my very brief time interning at St. Mike's Hospital, we, we shared notes as well, and it, it makes those notes more, um, they give them more meaning when they're being read by other healthcare providers. Absolutely. You're, I, I feel that you're held to, uh, you, you have to hold yourself to a really high standard. And so, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to be in an environment, if you're in solo private practice, where you know, you, you want to try to move through notation as quickly as possible so that, you know, you have time to see other people or, or go home at the end of the day or that sort of thing. But we, we spent a lot of time uh, working through our notes. And, and also it was a training hospital. So we were we were training chiropractic interns as well and really trying to instill a sense of, of uh, excellence and documentation uh, with the, the care that you're delivering. Because, you know, in theory, uh, you know, if you're sick or away or, you know, something bad happens to you, the next person who comes in to see that patient should be able to pick up exactly where you left off and know how to treat this patient in a safe and effective way. And if they can't determine that from your clinical note, then, you know, you've got some deficiencies in your note taking. Well, and that type of care and detail probably helps um, the clinician with critical reflection and, and really understanding, um, you know, well, appraising how, how their, their treatment is, is working, how their diagnostic skills are, and, um, and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, you, you've been a part of several CCGI guideline development panels in the past, and we're hoping you could tell us uh, about the guideline development process and your experience on those panels. Yeah, yeah. So I think when, when I think about the CCGI and my involvement with the CCGI, um, you know, it's a chance to be reflective a little bit. And I try to do that every once in a while. You know, you get busy with things and you, you uh, have a lot of projects on the go and that sort of thing. And so you, you think about those. But when I think about my involvement with the CCGI, I kind of feel that it's the thing that at the end of my career, I'm going to look back on the time that I spent working on CCGI-related projects as a, as a career highlight. I think that it's uh, been an opportunity to work with some wonderful people. It's been very thorough work, and it's had a productive output. And the, the output that has come from it is having an impact because that work is being cited, and it's being cited very rapidly. So I'm constantly getting uh, updates in, in my ResearchGate account and things like that saying, this work has been cited, your work has been cited. And when I look at that recently, a lot of it has been the CCGI-related work. That work has, has really had a positive uptake by the clinical and scientific communities. And it's really been a chance to see where healthcare decision-making happens. And so I was quite impressed when um, we were searching through, we were doing some work on one of the CCGI guidelines, and we, we came across some terminology that we weren't familiar with. And we were trying to figure out where did this terminology come from? And we that was when we sort of stumbled across this agency, CADETH. Uh, and CADETH, C-A-D-T-H, um, is the association that uh, basically does research for the Canadian government. So the Canadian government gives a certain amount of money and a, and a question to CADETH. CADETH then generates these uh, meta-analyses or reviews and brings them back to government. Government then uses that to inform healthcare policy. 
And uh, the uptake is very transparent in how they do that. And so we realized that these some terms that we weren't familiar with were coming from CADF and, and some of their older documents weren't necessarily supportive of what we had been doing as chiropractors. And what we found is that our CCGI documents are now being cited by CADF as the new standard that we should uh, basically have people adhere to. So CADF is uptaking the CCGI output and using that to inform government decisions. So uh, those are the kind of real big picture things that come out of a project like that, where you get to see your work as a scientist getting taken up by government and then being applied uh, to changes in, in legislation. And uh, the the citations from Cadith recently have been very supportive. And so it's been, uh, it's been very exciting to see that come through the guideline process. But uh, I remember when I was first in, invited to, uh, to join the CCGI, and I was uh, sent an email a number of years ago, and uh, basically I was encouraged to uh, join and to start uh, attending some of the training workshops. And so, uh, so I attended a couple of those and um, started participating in conference calls and that sort of thing. And, and then looking at the, the development of guidelines. And so trying to uh, look at what are, the, what are the guidelines that we need to do? What is the purpose of a guideline? Um, how should a guideline be created? And what are the good methodologies to do that? And you know, I think we were really fortunate to have at the helm of our team, uh, Andre Boussier, uh, Greg Stewart, and uh, Joe Ornelas. And so uh, Andre, of course, is uh, the CCRF chair from McGill and has had a position at UQTR for a long time. So uh, his leadership and his interpersonal skills were tremendous in getting our, our group organized and working together. Um, and uh, Greg Stewart, of course, is the uh, former president of the World Federation of Chiropractic and the former CCA president and MCA president. And so um, he is also really good at working with people. And he brought the perspective of someone who's been in clinical practice for 30 years. And so it was it was great to have you know, Andre as a scientist, Greg as uh, as a clinician, and uh, and then Joe Ornelas uh, is a DC PhD who is uh, based out of Chicago, and Joe actually has a lot of experience developing uh, clinical practice guidelines for the American College of Chest Physicians, and so Joe. Uh, has this tremendous history of, of developing guidelines uh, for the medical profession in the United States. And so he brought that knowledge, that insight on process uh, to our group. And so uh, so for the uh, the three guidelines that we worked on as a group, it was uh, they were really the core of the team and uh, and the rest of us uh, served in our, our our respective roles as either people with more clinical expertise or people with expertise that uh, happens to be in interpreting the research, whether it's experimental research or epidemiological research. And so, uh, so we had a, a nice, diverse team, and, uh, and we were able to, uh, to generate some really meaningful outcomes. So it was uh, definitely a wonderful experience. Well, thanks for describing that. That's, uh, that's a really unique insight that I don't think many of us get to, to hear about, that, that perspective of that process. Um, you... The other question I have for you is, uh, I pulled up an article, you co-authored a publication in the JCCA titled, 
informing a research agenda for the Canadian chiropractic profession. Uh, and the most highly ranked area of research was integration of chiropractic care uh, into multidisciplinary settings. And so I just want to ask why, obviously, why is that topic important and, and how do we increase the research capacity in that area? Right. The, um, it, it, I think it's a really important area. I mean, I've been really fortunate in my career that I have had the opportunity to be a chiropractor in that type of a multidisciplinary setting. And, you know, with, with the VA system, um, you are completely integrated. We could order any imaging that we needed. You know, if I suspected that somebody had um, an abdominal aortic aneurysm, I could order the Doppler ultrasound for to, to rule that in or out. And uh, their primary care doctor would be able to see it, and then they could follow up with cardiology if they had to. Um, you know, a lot of things masquerade as low back pain. And in that instance, it was the abdominal aorta. I had another patient that came in who had multiple myeloma. And, you know, he came in, he had light touch, uh, extremely severe back pain. And, uh, you know, I, I immediately knew that something more ominous was, was present, ordered the MRI, and we were able to, uh, to make that diagnosis that he had multiple myeloma. And then so he was immediately referred to our oncology department. So when you're in that kind of an environment, the chiropractor uh, really serves to identify who is appropriate to be seen in a chiropractic clinic and undergo a course of care and who is not appropriate and needs to be referred out uh, for other, uh, other types of therapies. And you can have those conversations when you are in that environment. And I found one of, the, one of the amazing things about being in that environment was not just being across the hall from orthopedic surgery, but really sharing a lunchroom. And you would go for your lunch break and there's the orthopedic surgeon, there's the chronic pain physician, there's you as a chiropractor, there's the physician's assistant, and everybody is just talking. And sometimes you're talking about life stuff and sometimes you're talking about patient cases and who's appropriate to refer where, what do you do in this kind of situation? And you can have those conversations and break down those barriers when you're all sitting at the, at the same table. And to me, that's one of the most important things about the integration of chiropractic care into the multidisciplinary setting. It takes down all the barriers between professions. It creates a lot of clarity into scope of practice and interdisciplinary management. And so that's the real practical side of that integration, I think. And, and the person that is going to benefit from that the most is the patient because their clinicians and providers have a mutual understanding and mutual respect of, of what we all bring to the table. And so uh, when you have that, that kind of integration, it can be uh, really positive and really successful. I think in terms of the, the ranked list, how do we... How do we explore that? How do we get more health systems research on the integration of chiropractic care in multidisciplinary settings? Well, I think the way we do that is that we increase our capacity by hiring people into those roles that are not only excellent clinicians, but are also research savvy. And so we've seen that in the VA that there have been a lot of chiropractors hired into these multidisciplinary environments. And and when they're trained as a chiropractor and they have excellent clinical skills, well, that's wonderful. It really helps the people that are, are local to that site and coming in for treatment. But we've seen a few isolated examples where the clinician that's there maybe also has a research interest or a master's degree or uh, is interested in pursuing a PhD. And in those instances, 
when you have someone who's dual credentialed as a, as a master of science, but also a chiropractor, the chiropractor can recognize the clinical needs that need to be met, but the researcher in them can, can speak the language, interdisciplinary language of research and be able to talk to other researchers that are affiliated with the facility, talk to other researchers that are outside the facility and conduct it in that clinical setting because they have an understanding of the day-to-day -day operations of that kind of clinic on the floor itself, but they also have an idea of the larger research um, system as well, how to apply for grants, how to write a manuscript, how to uh, test a hypothesis, all those different kinds of things. And if we have more clinicians in that environment that are also dual credentialed as researchers, then I think we'll be able to expand our research capacity in that area. Because if you're only a researcher, you're on the outside looking in, you don't understand what it is to be on the floor in those environments. And if you're only the clinician, you might not have the ability to articulate what needs to be done or how to test things in that environment. And so I think that uh, the dual credentialing and hiring the right people into those roles is extremely important. And I think that if we as a profession start to look to see where other professions are getting their clinical research from, uh, that we can learn a lot. And uh, there was a paper that came out in Spine a couple of years ago that basically said for a number of years, the gold standard in health science research has been the, the randomized controlled trial. And that has been true for a number of years. But when you think about an RCT uh, type of design, it's very contrived and it doesn't always reflect what we see in, in everyday clinical practice. And so more and more uh, professions are starting to move towards registry data. Uh, so basically maintaining a, a prospective registry on all the patients that move through very much like the quality assurance database that we've been able to, to, uh, to initiate at the Mount Carmel Clinic, where you're documenting the experience of, of every patient that moves through. And then when you look at the summary data that comes out of that, you're looking at what is actually happening in clinical practice. What does someone's experience actually look like? And the, the article in Spine said that, that registry type data will be the new gold standard moving forward. Yeah, and, and I guess you are starting to see some of that emerging in the profession too. You know, there's the Spine IQ uh, program in the U.S. There's, uh, oh, what's the one called in, in the U.K.? Our care sponsor. Yeah, care response. Yeah. So you are starting to see some of that that registry type big data uh, emerging in in our profession too. And so it's it's exciting times. But it's you know we need to have pilot projects and and good demonstration projects like uh, like in Mount Carmel uh, to to really help help guide the way for those. Absolutely. Well, I think that's uh, we've taken up lots of your time, Steve. I, I'd like to thank you for for joining us. It was a real pleasure to have you today. And to our listeners, thanks Thanks for tuning in, and we'll, we're going to look forward to bringing you our next guest in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Thanks, everybody.